This information is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is offered with the understanding that the presenters are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert advice is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Welcome to the Real Estate Financial Planner Podcast. I am your host, James Orr. This is Episode 8. Today, we're going to continue with Norm and Norma's story. In the previous episode, Episode 7, Norm and Norma decided to buy an owner-occupant property with 5% down payment and invest in stocks to achieve financial independence. We discovered, I think to the surprise of some listeners, that even though they cut the amount they were saving and investing each month from $1,000 per month to about $420 per month, that they still ended up achieving financial independence faster. Remember, Norm and Norma are obsessed with achieving financial independence and are open to finding the fastest, safest path. With that in mind, in this episode, we will continue buying up to 10 rental properties with 20% down payments while they continue to rent themselves. For the sake of our modeling, we're assuming that this is the same property they bought as an owner-occupant in the last episode with 5% down payment, except now they're buying it as a non-owner-occupant with a 20% down payment investor loan. They'll be saving up for their first down payment, and while they're doing that, the property value will be increasing each month at a rate of 3% per year. Rents will also be increasing a little bit each month at the same 3% per year. So the first property they buy will be less expensive than the second property. Each one they buy will be more expensive and getting a little bit more in rent. The property was worth $375,000 at the start, but by the time they save up 20% down payment plus closing costs plus six months of reserves, it takes them over eight and a half years. By then, the properties are worth and selling for almost $470,000. That's almost $100,000 more than the price when they started. So that's the price they pay for their first rental property. With some cash flow coming in from the first rental property, they're able to save up 20% down and six months of reserves, including reserves for the rental they own, and buy their second rental property in less than an additional eight years. They buy their second rental property about five years later, about 13 and a half years from when they started, and they end up paying over $540,000 to purchase that property. That's about $70,000 more than the last property they purchased five years earlier. But the good news is that since they owned one of those properties, they captured $70,000 in equity. Now, I think this is as good a time as any to remind you how we calculate whether they've achieved financial independence and explain why, even though the equity gain is great, it does not help them achieve financial independence in this particular set of assumptions. Financial independence is when they generate enough passively to cover their target income. So how do we calculate that? Well, we look at three things. Number one, passive income from things like social security, pensions, and annuities. Number two, net cash flow after all expenses on rental properties. And number three, their invested assets times their safe withdrawal rate. So for Norm and Norma in this scenario, I'll skip ahead a little and tell you that they achieve financial independence before they start collecting Social Security, and they don't have a pension and didn't buy annuities. That means they're not benefiting at all from the first group until after they've achieved financial independence, and then it is only from Social Security. What about net cash flow from rental properties? 
Yes, as they buy 20% down payment rentals, they're seeing positive cash flow, and that is helping them achieve financial independence. What about the money they have invested in stocks? Yes, any money they have invested in stocks multiplied by their safe withdrawal rate is counting toward their financial independence goal. And that's it. You'll notice that property equity is not included in that calculation. If they pay off a property completely, then they no longer have a mortgage payment and cash flow improves, and that would contribute toward their goal of financial independence, but equity does not. Now, we're not really discussing this in this scenario, but there are things they could do with their equity. These are things we will cover in future episodes of the Real Estate Financial Planner podcast, but we're not going to go into detail about in this episode. For example, they could sell off some of their properties and use that money to pay off other properties to improve cash flow and ultimately achieve financial independence. Or they could sell off properties and use that money to invest in stocks or annuities or something else where they could generate cash flow from it. Or they could do a cash out refinance and use the equity to pay off properties or to buy other investments. We will cover these ideas in future episodes, but for this episode, realize that Norm and Norma plan to buy rentals and just let their equity accumulate. So let's get back to our story. Norm and Norma buy their second rental property about 13 and a half years in. They continue to save with the help of the two rentals and eventually are able to have enough for 20% down payment, closing costs, and reserves for their properties and personal expenses a little less than four years later. They buy their third rental property for a little over $600,000. Each one they buy improves their cash flow and makes it easier to save for the down payment, closing costs, and reserves for the next property. For example, the next one takes three years, then two and a half, then two, then about 21 months, and so on. It takes a little over 30 years to acquire all 10 properties. The last property they buy was for just over $900,000. Now, out of an abundance of clarity, they paid $900,000 for it, but it was essentially the same property they were considering for $375,000 30 years earlier. The house prices were just going up at the same rate as inflation, 3% per year, for 30 years. So if we adjusted back for inflation to today's dollars, it's worth $375,000. In fact, each house adjusted back to today's dollars is worth $375,000. But in future, inflated dollars, they are each worth about $900,000. One thing I did also want to mention is how long it took to buy the first property and how that compares to how long it took to buy the first property in the previous episode. In this episode, it took just over seven and a half years to buy their first property, a 20% down payment rental property. In our last episode, when they were buying just an owner-occupant property with just 5% down payment, it took just over two years to save up for the down payment and closing costs. Speed of acquiring properties is a major advantage of strategies with lower down payments like the Nomad Real Estate Investing Strategy but we'll talk about that a lot more in future episodes where Norm and Norma consider nomading. In the last episode, they only bought the one owner-occupant property, but in this episode, they're buying 10 20% down rental properties. This is going to sound obvious, but I'll say it anyway. If you buy a property early, you end up paying it off earlier, and that's what happened in the last episode. 
In the last episode, Norm and Norma were able to achieve financial independence because they paid off their owner-occupant property by just making the regular payments over 30 years. And by doing so, reduced how much they needed their investments to generate to be considered financially independent. They achieved financial independence right after they paid off their owner-occupant home. In this episode, it is not the paying off of the rentals that allow them to achieve financial independence. Instead, it is mostly brute force cash flow. They achieve financial independence before they pay off even the first rental property. This is interesting because, as we will see, that means that when they do start to pay off properties and cash flow from their rentals really increases, they will be able to support a much higher standard of living. So how long does it take Norm and Norma to achieve financial independence buying up to 10 20% down payment rentals? They meet the definition of being financially independent in month 370. That's just under 31 years. Compared to 33 years if they just bought their owner-occupant property and invested in stocks instead. That's a little more than two years faster by buying 10 20% down payment rentals. But there's another consideration. Do you remember I just told you that they achieve financial independence even before they pay off a single rental property? Well, as they move beyond first achieving financial independence, rents on their properties keep creeping up with inflation, and even though taxes, insurance, maintenance, and vacancy costs increase with inflation too, their increases are just a small fraction of what rents are increasing at, and therefore cash flow is going up faster than inflation. And when they do pay off a property, their cash flow on that property increases by what the principal and interest payment on that property was. So they get nice bumps to cash flow with each property that is paid off. That means that as cash flow increases, they could be living at a much higher standard of living than just the inflation-adjusted $5,000 per month that they were first targeting. In fact, they're able to live on inflation-adjusted $10,000 per month by just before year 38, seven years later. It takes them 16 and a half years more to get to the same point in the last episode, just buying an owner-occupant property with stocks. It's around the same time, within a few months, when they could be living on an inflation-adjusted $20,000 per month, more than four times their minimum, or twice their ideal standard of living, by buying 10 20% down payment rentals. In fact, by the end of our modeling, in year 60, the inflation-adjusted cash flow from the rentals is almost $20,000 per month, net of all expenses like taxes, insurance, maintenance, and vacancy. So they could almost support a $20,000 per month lifestyle without considering their stock investments or Social Security at all by then. But does investing in rental properties add risk? Yes. Not only does it increase risk in several ways that we like to measure, including debt-to-net worth and debt-to-liquid net worth, which we also call debt-to-account balances, but it also changes the characteristics of risk as well. In the previous episode, they just had their owner-occupant property, and the risk of their risk was stock market risk. In this episode, they still have stock market risk as they save for down payments and keep that money invested in the stock market, as well as after they're done acquiring properties and invest in the stock market. But Norm and Norma also now have significant risk exposure to the real estate market as well. People have different beliefs about which risk, the stock market or the real estate market, is greater. And I'll leave that for you to contemplate, at least for now. But you should realize that this is not a pure apples-to-apples -apples comparison. 
It is an apples to oranges comparison, or more appropriately, a bowl of all apples with one orange to a bowl of some apples and 10 oranges. I'd like to end our discussion by talking a little bit about reserves, which is another way I like to look at risk. In my opinion, in general, the more reserves you have, the lower your risk. When buying 10, 20% down payment rental properties, the amount you need for a single month of reserves is much higher than buying just one owner-occupant property. I mean, you need to have reserves for each mortgage payment, each property's taxes and insurance, plus your own personal expenses. But if you recall from earlier, Norm and Norma insisted on having six months of reserves for each property and their personal expenses before buying their next property. So even though they have a lot more months of reserves for the overwhelming majority of the time just buying the one owner-occupant property, they still have at least six months of reserves at all times. At least that's true with our static assumptions. It won't always be that way in the advanced modeling we do in the advanced Real Estate Financial Planner podcast episodes. If Norm and Norma put 25% down instead of 20% down, their interest rate would be slightly better, but they need to save for longer and it would delay how quickly they could acquire the properties. I wonder how putting 25% down would impact their ability to achieve financial independence and if it's riskier or less risky than buying with 20% down payments. Find out in the next episode of the Real Estate Financial Planner podcast. Also, be sure to check out the advanced Real Estate Financial Planner podcast to see how having variable property appreciation rates, rent appreciation rates, variable mortgage interest rates, variable inflation rate, Variable stock market rates of return impacts Norm and Norma as they buy 10, 20% down payment properties to achieve financial independence. I hope you've enjoyed this episode about Norm and Norma. This has been James Orr with the Real Estate Financial Planner Podcast. Bye-bye for now. Oh, I almost forgot. You can download the newest version of the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet for free. Just go to realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash spreadsheet to download it right now. It's amazing. Bye-bye for now.